Nice. Done. You got to have Done. a sense of rhythm to do that. Uh, I know. I know. know. I'm like, always a little half hard. a beat off. <laughs> Me too. I, I'm like I'm, I'm like a, a British off. audience at a rock show. Anyways, guys, welcome. Uh, we just did our clap to synchronize our audio. <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> it's the VPZD show. It's December 26th, Sunday, the day after Christmas. How was your That's holiday, right. Vinay? Well, you know, it was, uh, I'm on service, you know, so it Ooh. is what it is. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a hardworking man, Z. I'm a hardworking man. You work hard while I hardly work. And I'll say this, this actually brings up a point. So uh, today we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to go through some tweets. We're going to go through stuff. We're going to go through about how tired of COVID I am, but it doesn't matter because we're going to talk about it anyways. But the the other thing I wanted to talk about quickly that leads into this is this idea that you can't talk about COVID if you're not actively seeing patients every single day who are dying of COVID according to the masses or certain physicians online. Do you think that's a valid thing to say? Well, oh, that's a that's a great thing to open with. So I guess I'd say a couple things. One, I guess, you know, I'm I attend on hematology and oncology. And as a hematology attending, we are often consulted on COVID-19 patients because as you know, sometimes they develop blood clots. And so I've seen my fair share of COVID-19 in the hospital. Um, so, but that said, that's not relevant from my policy point of view. Although I'm very familiar with the clinical manifestations of intensive care diseases and respiratory diseases and of this disease, and I've taken care of patients with it. I don't think that's relevant. I mean, every single person's life is affected by this disease in different ways, from practicing clinicians to practicing nurses to people who are just everyday citizens. And everyone has the right to comment on policy that affects their lives, from school reopening to how we should administer vaccines, etc. And I think the skills you can bring to the table are data analysis skills, uh, reason, um, seeking middle ground, compromise, some of the things that you champion. Uh, in addition to, you can bring your experience, but experiences always can be misleading and fickle. And we all know that doctors can anchor on too much to their last case. And so much as so, it's called the last case bias, where you actually act in a way that's uh, not optimal optimal because you're thinking so much about that last case. You're not thinking about what's the best systemic strategy. And so experience can be helpful, but it can also be misleading. It's certainly not a prerequisite to be able to comment on any part of policy from how to treat a patient in the intensive care unit to what should we do with schools and lockdowns, et cetera. Um, It's hard to believe that uh, any one person has the right to comment on that exclusively and other people don't get to have an opinion. That that's exactly the answer that I was trying to draw out of you, like venom out of a snake bite. That, that, that's exactly it. Because what's interesting is you can look at people who are seeing lots of, you know, or purportedly seeing lots of COVID patients. Like remember the demon ster- sperm doctor, uh, America's frontline <laughs> no. doctor. Is it, oh yeah. So she <laughs> she me, she me. she did yeah they did that press conference on the Capitol steps. Oh, I steps. do remember. I do remember. That's right. No, and do. they were talking yeah. about hydroxychloroquine as a miracle that's drug right. and so on and so forth. And she says, I treated X number of patients in my clinic in Texas and not a single one of them died and I gave them these cocktails. And by the way, you know, um, uh, uh, this disease is caused by demons having sex with you in your nightmares, which was something she had said previously, something like that. But anyways, point being, you, you, you do have these biases and just because you're treating patients doesn't mean that you can see clearly these issues or bigger picture policy issues, like you said, which all of us have a right to talk about because they affect every single last one of us. All right, it's a good way to start the show. Wait, no, I got one more We're, point to make on this, oh, yeah, which yeah. is which is really important point, which is that let's just confine ourselves to, did I 
can I tell what worked for my patients? Which is a real subset Ooh. of this whole question, which is like, you know, I gave my patient, you know, vitamin D and a lollipop and they got better. So can I say that that's what made them better, right? You know, um, that's a very popular thing I hear people say is that I have taken care of X number of patients and I can tell what makes people better. Let me tell you, that's almost always a fallacy and here's why. You know, even the busiest a doctor uh, just doing nothing but taking care of SARS-CoV-2 patients, they'd be lucky to get a thousand patients under their belt, you know? Maybe a few hundred, realistically. hundred patients would be, I think, you know, in the high percentile of doctors. And when you take care of a hundred patients and you talk about outcomes where vast majorities of people get better, you know, that uh, when it comes to a SARS-CoV-2 infection, you know, 99% of people are going to recover. They're not going to perish from that infection. And even in the hospitalized setting, the majority of people, far more than 50%, are going to recover. And so you start to think about what's the upper bound benefit of the therapy. 10% improvement, 60 to 70%, 70 to 80%, depending on the population, you know, 80 to 90%, 90 to 100, you know, to 94%, those kinds of benefits. You start to think about, they took care of 100 people, 1,000 people. They just don't have the power to detect those kinds of differences. I mean, it's much more likely they're going to be fooled by chance, by happenstance, than it is that they're going to see the signal. And you can sit down and do a lot of math. And I think there was somebody I saw on Twitter, she did all this math and threw it back at a doctor and said, you know, you feel as if you can detect the benefit. There's less than an 8% chance that benefit you're postulating you'd be able to detect with your naked eye, with the sample size of patients you've taken care of. And I think that's a point people miss, which is that experience, of course it can be misleading. If it was so reliable, we wouldn't do randomized studies. We wouldn't do studies at all. That, 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 that is spot on. And the thing is, I think the general public misapprehends this. They don't understand that. They really are, like most humans, intuitive, story-driven, right. um, seat-of-your-pants, feel kind of thing. And what's interesting is a lot of doctors are that way. And right. it is a deep bias. And until we recognize it and actually understand it, look, at you can have a randomized control trial, as you know, that is full of bias, poor design, Correct. looking at poor endpoints, all of that can happen. But when it's done well, it is a much better answer than seeing even a a thousand patients yourself and with a disease with an IFR of like 0.3 or something. Correct. Most of the patients, like you said, are just, they're going to get better. So you're going to have this bias. Well, I gave them these three things. They got better. Well, yeah, and but you see it, most of them yeah. would have anyways. And you see yeah. a thousand patients yourself over eight months where there are lots of time trends, lots of differences in outcomes over time, different strains of the virus you're seeing, yes. you know, so it's very hard to discern effect from noise, from wishful it, thinking. Wishful thinking. And, and this actually brings me to mind, you know, Paul Merrick, who was on my show a few right. years ago talking about his right. vitamin C cocktail. Now, right. he did a before-after trial, right. uh, which again, and, and it's gone through, been gone through a million times, tons of bias. Again, there's a time bias, there's all kinds of other stuff that wasn't randomized. Then they do the randomized trials, they don't find anything. Right. Now, you know, how is one to interpret that? I think one has to put a lot more credence in a, a large, well-done, randomized trial. Right. You know, and the problem is again, you you can always move the bar and the goalposts and say, well, they didn't give it early, they didn't give it this way. It was yeah. designed to fail. And you, you know, know all that's, the other. That's like mm -hmm. saying that um, prove to me Santa Claus doesn't exist. And you say, okay, well, here, let me prove. He's not in this room right here. Okay, well, he might be over there. He might be over there. He's not in that room. He's not in that room. He's not in that room. Prove he doesn't exist. It's very hard to prove non-existence. It's very hard to prove a therapy doesn't work under any circumstances. In fact, it's impossible. The goal is to prove under what circumstances it works. That's the goal in life, you know? So yeah. 
um, I do think that it's much more likely that we fool ourselves. I'll give you the great example, you know, um, the Skinner box, you know, he put that pigeon in a box. This is BF Skinner, the psychologist. And, you know, if the pigeon pushes the lever, he gets a pellet and very quickly pigeons learn to push the lever. This is so-called operant conditioning. Now in the final experiment in the BF Skinner saga, he had the pellet come at random intervals. It just came here. It came there. It came random intervals. And he watched the pigeon. And by the end of it, the pigeon would do an elaborate dance. It would shake a wing and turn in circles and shake the other wing and shake its tail. And it did that because it believed that doing that dance is what brought the pellet. But of course, the pellet was just coming randomly. And that's a lot like how people are too. We do a dance and we say, oh, when I gave the ivermectin, when I gave the, you know, vitamin D, when I gave the, you know, whatever, it worked. But are you any better than the pigeon? That's a real question you have to ask yourself. (laughs) Ooh, man, I love that. The pigeon in the box metaphor here is it, it it looks anytime you see people gambling in a casino they're doing these weird Correct. rituals and stuff and it's like man that is just first of all house is always winning second of all that's yeah. that's random uh that's, <laughs> that's okay that's a really powerful way to start this off because i think okay. again it's a, a part of the show is recognizing bias and our our own poor thinking and trying to transcend it or at least <clears throat> understand it i'm going to start you off with two tweets that i saw from the week's news, because this is a news show, Zubin. I know you know this, this is a hard-hitting news show. You, like you tell me every week, but every week I, I need to be convinced of it. <laughs> okay. Well, and and like all news shows these days, what I do is search Twitter. No, I I search all sorts of things. But I saw two tweets that I was just like, oh, I'm gonna love to see your response. Now this is from the week. These are ideas. These are real things people said. And I'm gonna start you with the the the, the PG rated one, and then we'll get to the the rated R one in a minute. This is the PG rated one. This is a, an epidemiologist, and this is an idea, an idea for how to you know have a safer holiday with Omicron spreading. This is what it says: If your gathering has a meal, consider having people plan to bring the food home rather than eating all together. Eating requires unmasking, and unmasking means more chance of transmission. Alternative idea: Have different households eat in different rooms at the gathering. So. Zubin, what do you think about this idea? You're having a Christmas dinner with your family and you're saying, hold on, you pull that mask up and you grab this Tupperware and you go eat in your car. What do you think about that? Or eat in your house, you take this home. <laughs> we, we, we have something for that. It's called DoorDash, Grubhub, Instacart. It's not called getting together with friends and family for the holidays. That's a different phenomenon. Look, yeah. but let you look, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here. Okay, yeah. okay. are these people going to be hurt are they going to be injured by getting infected at a family gathering um, by eating food with their mask off with their loved ones once a year in a time when prevalence in the community may be high in terms of Omicron, Delta, whatever it is? And that's the question we want to a- answer. Not so much the form of what we're doing here, but the function of what, why are we doing it? So what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that's really the operant question. I mean, I guess there's the question that will they have a non-zero risk of getting Omicron by eating at that dinner table? And I would say the answer is, yeah, sure. Would the risk yep. be lower if you, you know, all ate in separate rooms in your house? And by the way, <laughs> uh, I kind of, you know, you got to have quite a mansion if you have a big party, you know, have you go to the East yeah, Wing yeah. over there. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> theoretically. Problems. I mean, I just come back to the way I think about this whole thing, and we can talk about the college kids um, in a second, but I think about it mm-hmm. as, you know, so there's just three buckets of things you can do in this, in the, when it comes to this virus. One, you can do things that when you meet this virus, your risk will be lower, and that is get vaccinated if you haven't been vaccinated, yep. particularly if you're older, and um, maybe lose weight, maybe improve your medication adherence, maybe, you know, work on your general health. 
you know, that's the maybe category. Yeah. But the first thing you do, get vaccinated, and then, you know, do the things to make yourself a little bit more healthy. That means when you meet the virus, you got better odds than if you didn't do those things. The second bucket of things we do are things that delay the time until you meet the virus. And in a minute, I'll tell you about what they're doing on college campuses, but I do believe they're actually doing some things that will delay the time to meet the virus. This person mm. is true. You know, if you were to eat in Tupperware in your car, um, crying, because that's what it would be. <laughs> it would be a, be a really <laughs> shitty Christmas. Yeah, It's a, it's really, it's a Charlie Brown Christmas tree yeah, with Charlie the one Brown leaf. Christmas tree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Grinch has won, and I didn't know the Grinch, had, his real plan was giving Omicron. He didn't need to go and steal all the packages oh, from my, all the kids' houses. The, Leaving food variant. too small for other whose mouses. No, he didn't need to do that. But okay, so you could do this. It, it might actually delay. If you were consistent and able to do this, Like this also means, I think, if you have this philosophy, you're not going to any restaurants, you're not going to any bars, you're not going, pretty much you're confining yourself in your house. And I think if you lived in a bunker and ate canned peaches, you would be delay the time until you meet the virus. But it wouldn't be forever because eventually you're going to have to surface. You're going to have to come out of your bunker. And, you know, maybe this year, maybe next year, maybe five years from now, you're going to meet this virus. And so you're going to have to, you know, go through it. Um, you can boost all you want. I think you're still going to meet this virus. The third category I put things in, Zubin, are the things we do that make us feel like we're delaying, but they don't even delay. And here I put in this bucket, you know, this is wearing the cloth mask outside at recess. This is how, when, when we go to a Bay Area restaurant, we got to wear our mask from the door to the table, but not at all at the table. And then when we go to the bathroom, we got to wear the mask. But when we come back to the table, we don't got to. Um, that's a theater. That's pure theater. And so- yeah. This person is championing the idea that we should do more number two. We should delay when possible. But my counterpoint would be that if you are not going to want to show your face and take some risk to have dinner with your family this holiday season, what's going to be different five months from now? There might be another surge. What's going to be different a year from now? Um, you will eventually going to meet this virus. You know. So the question is, you, we all have to decide, what do we want in this life? Uh, do we want perpetual isolation or not? Yeah, and you know, I think this this dichotomy may have been a little more uncertain maybe in the earliest days of the pandemic when it was like, mm, okay, we can fair. flatten the curve, let's 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 delay, let's take number two and push it out, even if cloth masks lower inoculum a little bit, let's just make everyone wear them and let's stay away. And okay, fine. And then now it becomes clear that this virus is going to you have a date with this virus at some Correct. point. And either you have that. some, yeah. we've been saying it from the beginning, a date with Delta. Now it's a date with Omicron. It doesn't matter. You have a date with COVID. You have a date but, with either a bat coronavirus or a, a gain of function engineered. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever it came from. But wait, let me make one That's, more point, Zubin. The first year where you and I did recommend a lot of sensible ways to delay, it made sense because we were delaying for a purpose. We were delaying for vaccination. Vaccine. But once you get the, yeah, exactly. Which is a risk reducing therapy. But once you get the risk reduction, of the vaccination, you know, what are we delaying for? What is the end game? Well, we're, we're delaying for the seventh booster, Vinay, because <laughs> that's the magic one. didn't do enough, that's right. The if magic we just keep one. giving the same formulation of the vaccine of course, 27 yeah. times, well, no, no. But I, I, this is exactly the question. And and what you brought up, which is, hey, how do you want to live life, right? Do you want to uh, uh, live in complete fear? Now, you would assume if everyone at that, at that dinner is vaccinated, their risk of severe disease is already quite low, unless they're right. very elderly, immunocompromised, or particularly frail, in which case a common cold could knock them off. Off, let's be honest, that, that every winter our hospitals get busy and they get busy because the common viruses in the winter trigger people who are already frail. I mean, it was something as a hospitalist, we saw it right. every winter. We, right. It was a sense of, imp you know, remember Rochelle Walensky was saying a sense of impending doom. She spoke <laughs> like a hospitalist spoke every fall, every October. It's like, bro, uh -huh. I feel a sense of impending doom because winter's right. coming. It's yeah. definitely the Starks 
the Starks are gonna have to deal with the wall. It's like, <laughs> it, it is it is game of disaster. And and, and that's what I'm, we're seeing that even now when, oh, well, hospitalizations are ticking up. Yeah, but they do that every single year. So right. you really need to dig in and go, how much of this is gonna be worsened by Omicron, which for all we know is milder, for all we know is the same. We don't know yet, but you know we can talk about it. But yeah, so it, and come it, on. it requires and Let's also talk about the reality that this person is tweeting this. Come on, do you think, is there anybody who actually gonna follow this Zubin, come on! Who is this? Yeah. Who are we? Who are you preaching to? It's like virtue signaling above common sense. Uh, any, 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 any finger on the pulse of where America's at? I walk around, you know, the most restricted city in America. I think San Francisco. You know, yep. we're in the most restricted area, the Bay Area, and even the people here. Even they're not oh, this crazy. Even they're, they're not done. this much. Yeah, they're done. They're done. They're, I mean, you know, this, and this is in Texas, where it doesn't even exist. If you go around Texas, you know, <laughs> totally. They, they, look, their their pandemic is over when they say it's over, and it's been Correct. over, right? In certain yeah. parts now. Now, now, I think one of the things we should clarify because I do get emails from people angry with us, and <laughs> one of <laughs> the best <laughs> kind, the best standard. kind, huh? Yeah, that, that's right. It's par for the course, as Doctor Evil would say. He, <laughs> he's never said par for the course, but he should have because it's a good line. But what it is is, I think. People who are have that bias of seeing very sick COVID patients, the sickest of the sick, the obese, the comorbid, the elderly, filling up their ICU in a busy time of year, they will say, well, well, Zubin and Vinay, you say that like not, you know, it's hygiene theater when you mask walking from the front of the restaurant to the back to use the bathroom, but that's when you're spreading it because you're walking around people and the ventilation not may not be good. And it's like, well, I'd love to see the data on that, but Correct. I understand why yeah. you're saying that because yeah. you're seeing people who are sick who are like, I don't know, maybe I got it in a restaurant, maybe I got it here, maybe I got it there. And it's just anecdote and bias. And listen, the suffering is real. The suffering is 100% real. But the question is, what's the suffering that we're inflicting on society? by these measures that have very little evidence to no evidence behind them and are fear-driven. So you're instilling more fear. I get it. I understand it. But it doesn't mean I have to abide by it. It doesn't mean I can't say what I think is broader is a broader truth. And again, you that know, all relates I guess, back to I the, mean, yeah. if I were to say to that such a person, I would say that, yes, I mean, none of us wants to see a flood of patients into the ICU. Um, we never wanted that, you know? Uh, at the same time, the things you do to prevent that have to be commensurate with people's goals and desires in life. For instance, we could just do this, what we did this last year and a half, or at least let's say the first three months of the pandemic when people were, I think, quite serious about doing it. You know, people were a little bit more um, cautious. We could do that forever and we would get less flu. You know, in fact, it yeah. did dissipate. I know it did people, happen. people love to say it's the cloth mask that did it. It could have been that, or it could have no. been the entire disruption to all the entire globe. Either, either, yeah. or, either, or the disruption to the all globe. Of the above, the probably. Yeah, <laughs> we could just, <laughs> right. We, yeah, right. We could just do this forever. So your goal can't be minimizing this at the price of all else. It has to be a trade off. As long as people have lived and as long as they will live, they will want to do the things a social primate wants to do which is one of those things, probably the most important thing, is gather together once a year for a dinner that really matters. You know, and it's hard to say yeah. that, I mean, that's like the deepest sacrifice. Um, and how many more years you want people not to do that after they've been vaccinated and maximizing risk one, you know, category one, like risk reduction? I, I'm not sure what your goal is. Um, it is likely that there will be times when hospitals haven't inundated with patients. And we talked about it on a prior VPZD episode about, you know, maybe the hospital should think about ways that they can expand their capacity and maybe you don't need to do all that uh, un, uh, of questionable necessity uh, medical elective procedures uh, right before the holidays. You know, you know, you could have spaced it out, changed things, but, you know. There are other ways to tackle the problem. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this idea that, you know, if you really want to lower risk, there are costs to it. So you could stop the biggest risks, drowning, 
car accidents by yeah. not driving dig up all and the, dig up all the dig pools. up all the pools, fill them up, or better yet, fill them leave them empty so skateboarders can use them. That's a safe use uh, of a pool. Oh, that's you risky. In, you'll break you'll break an elbow. No oh, skateboarding. Or, yeah. Skateboarding not Man, allowed. I I, uh, I used to I used to skate when I was in high school, and there was a one a professional half pipe, you know, one of those masonite jobs yeah. in our yard. Tony Hawk would show up like you know every weekend because he was dating somebody in my high school, and um, this is in the Central <laughs> Valley. I know, wow. yeah, there's no, I'm not even making this up. Steve Caballero okay. was there. All these guys were there. All these big skaters from the '80s, and uh, I would skate on this ramp and I sucked, but I was good enough to like do a few errors and different things like that. And I remember one time, man, I fell, I don't know, must've been 10 feet vertical, hit my head with my helmet on. If I hadn't been wearing my helmet, I'd be dead. But to this day, I have like trapezius muscle spasm and stuff on that side. So I took a, a risk at that time when I was younger because I didn't have much of a frontal lobe and I, I felt that the risk was worth the benefit of getting, catching air and feeling awesome and getting the ad adoration of, you know, my peers and that kind of thing. But I made that decision and I did it consciously. Now, I wouldn't make the same decision now, but it's the same thing with, I think this, you, you make a decision of what you think is important. We like to drive, we like to swim. So we take the risk of drowning and getting in car accidents. And with this, it's like, we like to connect as human beings. We like to have uh, holiday dinners together. Sometimes we don't like our family, sometimes we do, but we do try. And that that's the bottom line is we have to weigh those things. And the science, is so unclear on some Correct. of this stuff that there's no direct prohibition in any way. So that, that's my thinking on it. And and not doing those things has manifestations you may not be fully aware of. I mean, obviously there's mental health, there's depression, suicidality, but there's also all those other parts of mental health that you know shape our thinking and our executive function. And one would imagine that somebody who's gotten a little bit more socialization wouldn't be tweeting out something like that. That's just a thought I had. Just a thought I had. They wouldn't be tweeting out something so clueless. Because they, they're not having their finger on the pulse. And Okay, wait, let me give you the next one. This is the rated yeah. R tweet. And oh, uh, <laughs> when I saw this, I was like, oh, my God. Um, oh. And again, I'm, well, I'm not, I didn't write this. I just don't have the record to state. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just the messenger here, okay? I'm just the messenger. Okay, <laughs> here you go. Putting masks and Omicron in familiar terms. Here goes nothing. Oh no boy. mask equals, no mask equals unprotected sex on day of ovulation. Cloth mask equals withdrawal method on day of ovulation. Surgical <laughs> mask equals condom, but not right at the start. Ahem. <laughs> N N95, KN95, KN94 equals IUD. And hashtag stay home equals vasectomy or tubes tied. Be safe. <laughs> and then a picture of a bug. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I I enjoyed that one. That one was good. I, I, that, the, listen, I'll say what they did right. They got a spectrum of risk. They said, "Here's a spectrum of risk." That's what they take, got right. Yeah, that's take true. your okay, choice. They yeah. got that right. Everything else. Mm. <laughs> so this again, this this makes me think of that time that you said, you know, the kind of people who tweet these things, you wonder whether they have like some kind of OCD or personality disorder that makes them avoidant of other human beings or unable to calculate risk in a meaningfully true way. And this again gets to that because there's so much fallaciousness, if that's a word. <laughs> no, no, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Zero oh, pun boy. intended. Oof. Although that was not mentioned in the tweet, it was implied. <laughs> in in that whole risk spectrum, you know, it, it's yeah, it's it cloth mask is what did they say? Uh, uh, withdrawal. Cloth mask is withdrawal method on day of ovulation. 
But on the surgical, day of ovulation. And the surgical mask is condom, but not right at start. <laughs> oh my God. It's just it's so graphic. <laughs> That's really impressive. Uh, this person, wow. First of all, they, they, need, they need to get laid, A. B, um, they need to do it with a spouse where they don't have to use these methods. <laughs> Clearly, there's something going on here. But but really, I think more to that, it's this idea of, of risk. I recently, and, and on the spectrum, I read a, someone had sent me, hey, what do you think of this? Some guy wrote a Substack about how this, the doomsday variant is coming. Omicron is much worse than we think. And the only way to fight it is to lock down all of society for two weeks straight, forcibly vaccinate everybody, basically, make it mandatory, and then slowly reopen and hope for the best because the next variant is gonna kill us all. And first of all, that misapprehends risk. It misapprehends policy versus science and it's clearly written by someone who's delusional or crazy. I mean now that's my that's my you know, what I always wonder about these claims that, you know, why don't some of the people, at least for variety, say that it's not the next variant that's gonna get us? Why don't they just say there's gonna be a new pandemic flu? I mean right. just for variety. Just for variety. Just for variety. <laughs> just for variety. Right. Because that that's, that's actually possible. more it's all possible. plausible. Possible. Like, imagine plausible. imagine you have an huh? Yeah. No that? one has no one has been taming the pangolin population this entire time. Who knows what's going on in it? Those effing pangolins, you yeah. know? Like if I were Trump back in the Trump era, I would have been like, we have a 12-point plan to murder all the pangolins because you, they can't be tamed. Speaking you of know, him, you, did you see he's in the news this week? He said he got boosted and the audience booed him and he was like, no, course. no, 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 don't let them do it. Don't let them take this away from us. <laughs> this is our vaccine. And then he, yes. then he said this, he said, he, I listened to part of it, he said, he said, you know, people were saying that if it weren't for this vaccine, if it weren't for our vaccine, 100 million people would have died. It would have been worse than Spanish flu, people are saying. And you know, he went on and on about it. But look, you know, actually- Dude. He, you know, well, I mean, the I guess guy, I, I, yeah, he know he's, he's taken a different direction. The dude is clever because yeah. if he's looking at uh, 20, what is it? 2024. 2024. Yeah. yeah. If he's looking at that, he's like, okay, we know the vaccine's like saving lives because it probably is severe probably disease. Is. Yep. Um, and so I'm going to, now's the time to take credit for it. Early Correct. on, it's good to kind of divide people. Now it's like, now I'll take the credit for it. And I'll be like, hey, Biden, you screwed up my vaccine. You didn't even get it into people. I would have, I would have tied them down. I would have squirted <laughs> it in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Right, so, right. So, yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting. He's, he's, he's switching. I think, you know, you know, he's, uh, he, as Bill Maher says, he's the shark in Jaws. He's not gone. He's just out to sea. He's coming back and we better build a bigger boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got eyes are black like a doll's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he's, I mean, I had to submit when I listened to him. I hadn't heard him talk in a while because, you know, the media doesn't want to talk to, you know, doesn't want to cover him anymore. And so I had right, to find right. this video and I heard him and I, even I was smiling because, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> It's like, I mean, it would, it would have been the Spanish flu, would it? Is that true? <laughs> Everything is exaggerated. Okay, next topic. True. Next topic. Yes. Um, Francis Collins. Did you see what he did to, um, to oh. this, his emails? It came out. This, okay, this was brutal. Um, so, yeah. so he has an email to, uh, Fauci and another couple dudes yep. from NIAID. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and he basically says, Hey guys, like FYI, you guys seen this whole great Barrington declaration thing, uh, three fringe epidemiologists pushing yep. this thing. Anyways, this is going to require yep. an overwhelming and definitive takedown. Yep. And I don't see it yet. Quick this and devastating. Yeah. Quick oh, and devastating. Amazing. Amazing. And I tell you, I read that. Look, I have always given these guys the benefit of the doubt. Cause I'm like, they're too stupid to come up with an actual conspiracy. 
conspiracy. Like they, they would never actually try to sign. They're just gonna go on the shows and do their thing. But this was like, oh my God, they came after Jay Bot, Jay Bhattacharya. Yeah, I know. And, and I, and, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go, no, go ahead. Well, I guess, you know, I, I it, it got under my skin. It was like a pebble in my shoe. And uh, I wrote a thing for Stat this week in op-ed. Um, that's out, people should check it out. It's called, at a time when the US needed dialogue between scientists, Francis Collins moved to shut it down. And yeah. I guess like the point of my essay was that I think people forget a few things. Like, what does it mean to be NIH director? What does it mean to be an IAD director? I think first people forget that these are not, strictly speaking, um, r- policy agencies. These are not the agencies that set um, approved drug products. They're not the agencies that tell us how to use vaccines. Those are other agencies. These are scientific agencies. Scientific agencies that are really goal is to direct further knowledge and inquiry in a broad direction. And the thing about running these agencies is you will inevitably fund things. You must fund things that you yourself do not believe is promising and don't like that much. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing a good job. So what I want to say is like, if you're running this agency, you have to be open-minded because Francis Collins, surely he has his opinions on how to treat cancer. And I know he does because he likes the genome and that's his thing. Um, But you know, you got to fund things that are not genomic science because you know, it might be a, a, a substantive breakthrough in the future, okay? So similarly, when you hear about a declaration that is signed by thousands of scientists, including a Nobel laureate, as he acknowledges, um, right. and that declaration is, we need to reopen schools immediately, we need to liberate most of society, we need to do focus protection on the old, um, your response can't be, we need a quick and devastating takedown. The response should be, hmm, shoot, wow, a lot of people who I represent and I'm a part of my contingency have this view that I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me. Maybe the right answer is we should have a series of roundtable discussions hosted by the NIH where we'll get JBOT and Martin, we'll get them to come and present their view, we'll get people who hold the other view to present their view, and maybe we'll get some people in the middle who say that, look, uh, and the middle position might have been let's reopen schools, but let's have some other restrictions on society, let's do the stuff on nursing home. And, you know, what I think, Zubin, the thing that really kills me is that, like, people still don't realize all the trash talk that's been going on in this space, there were huge areas of agreement that nobody wanted to talk about, which was schools. Everyone, 90% Mm. of people, I think, would have supported elementary school reopening, maybe not middle and high school. I would have supported it all. But that was a place that we screwed up. We, We didn't want to talk. Nobody wanted to talk to anybody. And in my mind, it's particularly bad because it's Francis and he's the director of the NIH and he has a different role than the average scientist. And I wrote in my piece that, you know, he's not the Pope for all scientists. He's just a guy with an opinion like everyone else. But the prop and, and he has a pulpit and the pulpit isn't meant to tell the world how it should live. The pulpit is meant to house and encourage a broad set of ideas from scientific discovery, which, you know, uh, can sometimes be in things you least expect to, I think, policy and what's the best you know, response to an unprecedented pandemic and an unprecedented response that, by the way, in the history of humanity, we've never done. Mm. Mm. That <clears throat> I really couldn't have said that much better. So I don't have a lot to add because I'll say, you know, I met Francis Collins um, backstage at TED in 2013. We oh. were both speaking that year. Yeah. Oh. And we talked for a bit and I, I was like, wow, I was taken by his... <clears throat> His genuineness, his kind of down-to-earthness, his charm, he was quite soft-spoken. He listened more than he talked. I was like, oh, 
I kind of like this guy. And before I, you know, I didn't know much about him except for his human genome work. And I, I'd met his rival and had done a talk with uh, Craig Ventner, who had been the oh, other genome yeah. side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Interesting guy. He, he's like a Dr. Evil in himself. I love it. <laughs> and um, he's like, got his cat. He's like, oh, yes, we will sequence your genome and predict to he's a minute like, when you will die. Oh, boy. <laughs> he's yeah. like, going to shotgun sequence it. <laughs> yes, yes, that's how he's truly like, and he's like, oh, we've reconstructed your face using simply the the C's and A's of your genome. We left the other stuff mm-hmm. out because we don't need it. It's redundant. Oh, and you're like, wow, <laughs> dude, this guy's terrifying. But yeah, so Collins, on the other hand, was you know he's he's Christian dude. He's kind of like down to earth, nice enough guy. So when I saw this, I was like, oh man, it's a, I had all the same thoughts you did. Like this is when we should be cur- encouraging, even if you disagree with Jay and the gang. It's like, well, all right, cool, let's talk about it then because that's the whole point you're supposed to try to find truth yeah. and you're in, in the head of this agency like you said they're not setting policy so it seemed very it was a very chilling thing to read because you're like this is not and, and again it goes right to the point of no one trusts these guys now and that's Come not on, good yeah. because we yeah. do we need trust in our in some agencies some structures of the uh of leadership and and if it doesn't exist then then you end up with this crazy conspiracy people going into the arms of people that are just batshit crazy Um, let me say a couple other things he used the word fringe and and this really irritated me because you know if i was to say that you hold a fringe position one prerequisite to me saying that would be to actually have some sense as what people think And the truth is, in October of 2020, no one has a clue what the average scientist thought. You knew what the most vocal Twitterati thought. You knew what they thought. And you knew what maybe some of your friends thought. But no one actually surveyed all of the scientists out there to get a sense. Do you guys like these lockdowns? You think they're sensible? You think the school closure for, let's keep it going for another Mm. eight more months. You think that's sensible? Nobody has surveyed anybody. So for him to use the word that they're fringe, and he loves to use that, all he's really saying is that they have a view that I it doesn't it doesn't fit my intuition. And yes. to call it fringe is really disparaging, unfair. And then the next thing I'd say, so that's one point. I think it's a silly use of the word. He didn't know. And by the way, as NIH director, you know, you're the kind of the only person who could conduct such a survey very quickly and get the yeah. answer to actually figure out what people believe. Um, if yeah. you so wished. Um, the, and then the other thing I'd say is, in the weeks that followed, and to this day, all I hear about is that the GBD, it's not a scientific statement, it's a political statement, it's funded by, you know, I don't know, one of those billionaires or something. I'm like, oh my God, this is like, this is a type of acceptable conspiracy theory. Um, I'm like, look, I don't know how to tell you this. There is conflict of interest in this world. It's pernicious, it's problematic. This was not a good example of it. These are just Mm. truly people who truly believed what they said. They're truly scientists who truly believed that closing things was worse than opening things. They are not deniers of the virus. They know it's serious. They just believe that the harms of closure are even greater than that for most people, except for the ultimate, the very elderly. That's just what they believe. Okay, now, they're not doing it because they're being paid. There's no grand conspiracy behind them. It's just the fact that they're going to believe that. And, you know, I, I wonder why people find this so hard to believe. Because what about on your side? You really find it like, imagine five years ago you were to tell me, you know, there's going to be a virus. It's going to have an IFR of maybe 0.2, 0.3, 0.4, something in that ballpark. Um, and uh, we're going to close all of society and close schools for a year. We're going to halt all domestic travel. Every time there's a new variant, we're going to, you know, we're going to ostracize those countries, even though it's probably already spread to our shores. We're going to do that. You know, somebody there might have the intuition like, oh, well, that doesn't strike me as reasonable, you know. And you wouldn't say, oh, that's just a conspiracy. You're in it for for big, you know, you're in it. You're, 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 um, you're, you're getting paid by um, mom and pop stores 
doors to keep him open, you know? No one would say that. They'd be like, you know, it's quite a reasonable point of view. When you do things that are unprecedented, don't be surprised that legitimate scientists have different views on the issue and that the truth might be something in between. That's that's absolutely correct. And, and I'll say this further. Like, <clears throat> if you want to think about you know, conspiracies, you can go, okay, so these guys were getting paid to do Great Barrington by who? By business interests that want to stay open. But if you really look at who benefits from the pandemic and you look at what's happened, the rich right. got richer and richer and richer and richer. The zoomocracy could have an extra wing in their house where they could eat their right. Tupperware holiday dinner. They could remotely commute. They're fine with it. It's everybody else. And these. Right. When, when I talked to Jay Bhattacharya offline after, in between whenever he's been on my show, <laughs> He is like, the reason I'm doing this is that I, I really was taught from early on that poor people need advocates and, and nobody in power seems to care about them unless you make a lot of noise. And I think this is harming the most vulnerable. It's harming countries that have no vaccine access to worry about boosting our own first. Mm -hmm. It's harming uh, frontline essential workers who uh, are going and getting COVID because other people are staying home and we've closed their schools and they have no daycare and we're crushing them economically. So- Listen, say what you will. These are not fringe positions, and like you Correct. said, he didn't ask. Now, here, here, now this is and another nobody piece. knows. Yeah, yeah, go on. Nobody knows. Well, I'll tell you. So, in our position, you and I, we get a ton of emails from everyone, right? So, we do get an interesting sample. Now, some of it's biased because of people who tend to agree with whatever stance we took in that show. They'll email us or disagree, but I get a lot of emails from frontline physicians who see lots of COVID patients who are like, thank you so much for right. bringing to light the kind of perspective and thinking that we think no one can do because we're afraid we're gonna get fired or we're afraid right. we're gonna get yelled at. And that's important because you're actually stifling thought that diverges from whatever the government, forget government, whatever the, the prevailing narrative is. And some of that narrative is guided by people in positions of power like Francis Collins, who will do a devastating and thorough takedown of fringe, quote unquote, fringe positions. I also feel like, I don't know, I guess, I'm just surprised he was so confident that he knew the right. I mean, you know, all through 2020, I I must admit that I had a lot of ambivalence about, you know, when mm -hmm. and how and how long. I mean, anyway, but that's another side. Um, they're true believers is what you're saying. Jay Bhattacharya, true believer. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and you know, there's another conflict of interest that goes under discussed. Did you know that um, cruise ships are still running right now? Did you know that? And even though some <laughs> have described them as quote unquote Petri dishes. And did you remember that one Carnival cruise line paid mm. your Surgeon General mm. a few hundred thousand dollars for consulting? Did you remember so it, that? I remember it well because <laughs> you mentioned it on my show. Many, many me times. sweat I a just, little <laughs> because, because our Surgeon General is a friend, but I'll say this. Why am I talking mm -hmm. like Trump? I'll say yeah. this. Uh, yeah, right? And and the thing is, remember, I remember the princess, the first uh, cruise. The Diamond that, that, Princess, yeah. God, a Diamond Princess. It reminds me of like some Stephen King novel. Like it all started with the Diamond Princess. They were, old people were dropping like flies off the decks, yeah. falling into the ocean with COVID. And then remember Trump? He was like, you know, they came to the dock and he was like, don't let them off the boat. If you let them off the boat, you're gonna you're gonna double the numbers. We don't need to double the numbers on land. <laughs> oh man, he was right. Though. You, it did, did double he the was numbers. right. It did yeah. double the numbers. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, and like you said, another point I want to double down on is this yeah. idea that oh yeah, you know, we shut down global travel because of Omicron. What a smart yeah. move. You and I were screaming about it when it happened. Yeah. It was a terrible idea. Well, guess what? It's already like the dominant 
thing everywhere. So so it would all it was already everywhere, dude. It was a so, oh come on. Yeah, that's one thing that they haven't. Oh yeah, that was Fauci no one's himself owned that. said we ought. To, they don't own. Come on, it was a, it was a silly idea the moment they did it, and the it just caused disruption. It. Now Omicron, and then people move right past it. Of course, you were yep. wrong to shut down the border after after it's here and, yeah. and exponentially yeah. growing. Okay. Exactly. Well, yeah. yeah. Omicron. All right. Oh boy. Omicron. All right. Next one. <laughs> I tell you, it's gotten to the point where it's just like I'm just scratching my head at like just the nature. Yeah. Let's of talk all. about That's that. Why, I, why don't we talk about yeah. that now? You said you're sick of all this, quote unquote. Um, and I think you were referring to me calling you and texting you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe you're referring to the pandemic. I don't know. No. 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 You know. You know. Dude, I will talk to you about this any day because we actually. There's a, there's a certain truth that tends to emerge from our conversations that I love, right? It's that it's, it's an authenticity. What I'm sick of is the inauthenticity of the <clears throat> constant struggle against uh, what is perceived as, this is information, this is misinformation. Is Omicron no, gonna God. kill us? Is it not gonna kill us? Should I get vaccinated? Should I not get vaccinated? Should I get a booster? Should I not get a booster? It's like, listen, I think in broad strokes, we have a general sense of risk and benefit of these things to a large sense. You can make a decision and we can move on. We can declare the pandemic over, support the hospitals, open up restrictions and really support the hospital, support frontline healthcare practitioners who are gonna be very busy um, and just do that and let's move on. Let's talk about other things, right? Like how we're now now gonna be missing all these, you know, cancer diagnosis, whether or not that actually affects outcomes, I don't know. But, you know, all the other ancillary effects of the pandemic response, you know, fixing our problem with with having closed schools and all the deficit now that these kids are gonna have and the mental so I, one one email I got was from a and this is why I say I'm I'm tired of this. It's not because I don't want to talk about it because I, you know, I'm a snooty Zoomocracy, and I'm ready to move on. It's because I don't think we're talking about the important things, right? So right. the important things is the ICU physician who emails me and says, listen, I, I just wanted to thank you for saying one thing. You had mentioned another physician whose son was having trouble in high school with mental stuff because of all the pressure and the closures and the and the disconnection and all of that. And I wanna say, I take care of COVID patients every day. It's been really busy. But the hardest part for me is my son, who's also manifesting these signs and how discouraging it's been that no one talks, right. we're not talking about these things. And we're kind of holding the healthcare system, kind of holding the rest of the country hostage. And it's causing these other problems that are, my colleagues are seeing, my psychiatry colleagues, my psychologist colleagues, my, my pediatrician colleagues. You so can see that, it everywhere. I mean, you can just, I mean, alter society, massive changes in, temperament and mental health yeah people lose their shit on a plane now like in a way i that saw that never... you saw that video i mean I, I guess these are selected videos but every time i see some video it's this time with somebody yelling about a mask who themselves were not wearing a mask i was like what is this what are we <laughs> and then the person who's getting yelled at about the mask pointed out the person yelling about the mask wasn't wearing the mask i was like oh my god enough is oh, enough i'm like man a little too hostile they they think these things are like much more potent than they are at best that thing that surgical mask has the 11 percent relative risk reduction in bangladesh but probably it's closer to the null um, okay, two thoughts mm -hmm. for you. One, misinformation. I wish we never taught taught people that word <laughs> because yeah, nobody yeah, knows yeah. how to. Everybody no thinks one knows what how they, to use it. Nobody knows how to use it. They all, everyone thinks that what they think is the truth, and if you think anything else, it's misinformation. And uh, they got carried away with it. The next thing I'll tell you, you know, I went to a restaurant recently in San Francisco. Okay, I guess I, I guess I went to a restaurant recently in San Francisco. 
And, you know, they, they card hard here. They card hard. I'm oh, not yeah. talking about oh, alcohol. Yeah. I'm talking about vaccine passports. And boom, they got me. And this person was like, I swear to God. Did I tell you this on the last episode? I was like, this person was like checking the lot number of Moderna. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, it's like, did I tell you this story already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you right, mentioned no, that they had actually I got nothing drilled. New. Well, they drilled into the lot number of your vaccine <laughs> did, to they were, they, catch they were, you in some kind of falsity. Yeah, yeah. Like, I already no, you're told not you my vaccinated. joke. Uh, look, at, look at this. I, I'm lost the sense of time. <laughs> I didn't well, no, think it's we not. No, it, yeah, yeah. But then, and then it's, at, it's even, it's and they even told more me I was like, out of compliance. I was like, get out of here. Yeah, it's even more relevant because this kind of what I think it is, it actually is relevant to what we're talking about right now because it's an atomization. It's this idea that, listen, humans are whole and part of whole. And what we've lost is the part of whole. Like we seem to now have regressed due to these, I think to a large extent to the societal disruption of our policies. We've right. regressed into into whole in ourselves. Like just, okay, we, no, it's all about me and you're wrong and you're the enemy and misinformation and disinformation instead of dialogue and trying to find truth. And, and we've forgotten that we're part of a bigger thing, which means there's elements of our of our society that are, you know, the anti-mask, anti-vaccine, those elements, they've forgotten that like, no, there is some community benefit to not overwhelming hospitals and doing this and that. Okay, great. Then on the other side, there's the whole, well, you're forcing people to stay home, you're taking away their, their education, college students, you're torturing them. That has a cost, right? So you're thinking about a smaller part of the whole, even though you're talking about the whole, you're not really talking about the whole. So this loss of perspective that everything is both one and many, like this simultaneous paradox that is in fact the nature of reality, the fundamental fabric of reality, we've, we've swayed to one direction or another, and I think that is never a good thing for long. It always will come back, and, but in the process of coming back, it'll, it'll, it'll gouge us, it will cause lots of suffering. And I think that's what we're seeing. So this idea of this person checking your passport at the, at the restaurant in a way to try to catch you in a gotcha because they're convinced you're a bad person for trying to you know, skirt around some vaccine thing. And if they have no idea who you are, they have no idea what kind of day you've had, they have no idea what your background is. If they'd known, like, they would have been and like- And I'm like, let me tell you one thing. There's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of policies that I can talk to you about for three plus hours, but this one <laughs> is one of them, my friend. And I, I know the policy and I'm in compliance. You trust me on this, I promise you. Um, oh, okay, let me ask good. you this. A big thing that happened, I think, Omicron, um, you know, it's um, uh, it it it, it, uh, it it appears to be infecting people who had previously had the resources and means to keep themselves protected from infection. So that's one of the big differences, I think, is that now the affluent, the people who have you know plenty of rooms in their house and plenty of ventilation, they themselves are also coming down with this. And so you've seen a stream of articles in major news outlets saying, like, you know, there's no shame in getting Omicron. Which is kind of what they should have been saying all along. From the beginning. Yeah, yeah, right? So now a certain class of people, I think the zoomocracy, the wealthy, the people who could easily abide by mandates, but as long as you don't stop the DoorDash, and of course Netflix shows, <laughs> but P.S., uh, we paid the Surgeon General too. Um, as long as you don't stop our entertainment <laughs> and our DoorDash, you know, you can, you can, can, you know, we can have all the lockdowns you want. Those people are also coming down with Omicron. So I think, um, you know, it's a terrible virus. 
and um, uh, 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 but so far, Omicron appears to be uh, far less severe in terms of severity of illness. And by the way, I saw somebody, I didn't share this with you, I saw somebody on Twitter say that like everyone is looking at how people do with Omicron, but no one's looking at if you're hospitalized with Omicron, um, you know, your outcomes are are no better and maybe even worse than other strains. And I was like, you can't, that's, I was like, yeah, you're conditioning on hospitalization. <laughs> and then I was like, if, if you get a breathing tube put down your throat for Omicron, your outcomes are just as bad as any other breathing tube. Yeah, of course. You're conditioning on the bad outcome. That's not how you do an analysis, buddy. You got to look oh. at the spectrum. I was like, yeah, and it looks milder. Of course, it replicates in the upper airways, looks milder, it's spreading like wildfire. Um, well, now, you know, rich people are getting it too. And I think that's changing a lot. So now they're saying there's no shame in it. You know, where were they? You know, they should have been saying that all along. I think it's, uh, it's kind of ironic. Yeah. You did, so, so this Omicron thing is interesting because it does change the social dynamic of this. You're absolutely right. Everyone's going to get it if you are vaccinated or not. You're going you're gonna to get it. You're going to be exposed to it. You may well be infected, although vaccine will reduce your risk of infection by some fold and, and booster will do that too. But right. it, severe disease, it, so it's interesting because is Omicron actually less severe or is it that we have a population that's more immune or is it mm. both? Mm. And th the data seems, it's still not clear because you look at South Africa, they purged through Omicron really fast. It's now on the, on the downswing. Their hospitals did not get very busy. In fact, nothing like Delta. And and some of it, some seroprevalence estimates seem to estimate 80 to 90% seroprevalence in South Africa, if you trust that data, which means there's a lot of existing immunity. They weren't very vaccinated, but they were certainly exposed. And so the question becomes, are we now in a world where an Omicron is a blessing rather than a curse, and we can call it mm. Omicold, uh, because it's actually more like a mild cold, more like a flu, more like a mild flu for a lot of people. Now, remembering you that- You shut your mouth, misinformation spreader. <laughs> <laughs> That's Shut my name, Misinformation. I, I go by Ms. Uh, Vinay because I'm, I'm a liberated uh, man. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say that's exactly right. That's considered misinformation. The other thing I, is with that, if that is really true, when, at what point do you start to say, okay, get vaccinated or not, wear a mask or don't, definitely open all the schools and the restrictions, and let's. Uh, really fortify hospitals, which- I'll tell you at what point you say that. You say that in May, 2020, 2021. Oh, that's what I, May 2021 snap. this year. Is this the great uh, Prasad declaration, the GPD? <laughs> well, you know, I was, a, I was a, I, you know, I, I, I tried to tell him, but I mean, I think that the <laughs> idea did. of continuing restrictions after vaccination was always fraught for Crazy. a few reasons. One, Crazy. the evidence is like, yeah, they're like, oh, you know, I was like, you remember those randomized trials where we like vaccinated everyone for an illness and then we made them wear the masks? I was like, there's no such stuff. Okay, it doesn't exist. You know, <laughs> like it's not really, there's no data to support it. But also I think it's a missed opportunity for a, a, like a, a meaningful reason to return to normalcy. Like remember I said, you know, the three categories, risk reduction, delay the time and theater. Um, you know, uh, a meaningful time to remove the things that you might believe are delaying would be when you've done the maximum risk reduction. And, you know, boosters make sense to me for older people. I think there's Israeli data in journal that shows a clear reduction in bad outcomes yes. like hospitalization. But when you start talking about boosting a 16-year-old boy, you know, I think, and in fact, the paper themselves concede that they no one has any idea because a 16-year-old boy who's already vaccinated risk of a bad outcome if they were to get the virus, Omicron, is, uh, which is milder, is already so low, the thought that a booster could further lower it is uh, speculatory, theoretical at best. And the possibility that there'd be some offsetting toxicity such as a such as myocarditis is probably more real and salient so i think that's a that's a really tough place um but all that said is you know once you've minimized your risk 
once you've given people the opportunity to minimize their risk, that's another way to put it. Because, you know, there's going to be some people who, you know, I don't know, there's nothing more you can do. You know, I know there's, it's very popular in a certain group of people to just want to think of more ways to twist the arm of people who are choosing not to be vaccinated or not to be boosted. And the truth is, at some point, you got to move on. Like, they're, they're not going to comply. I don't know what you're going to do. You put them in prison. I mean, you got to stop at some point. Um, Man, you, you, you said something key here. Once you've given people the opportunity to yeah. reduce their risk. So in the early days, the only opportunity to reduce risk was hiding out, maybe getting in shape, improving metabolic syndrome, that kind of thing, wearing a N95, you know, whatever it was, even a cloth mask, whatever it was. But now everyone has the option to get vaccinated or not. Everyone has the option to, to by choice, wear a mask if they feel it's helpful or not, or to go to events or not. So it's entirely within your control. And I said something earlier that I regret that I want to I want to play devil's advocate on. I mm, said you okay. you said oh you know we you know we vaccinate all these people and then they still have all these restrictions. And I said that's crazy, which is how I feel about it. Yeah. But that's an opinion. Now let me let me back up and say okay, okay, there's a devil's advocate to that position, which is and and let's let's use colleges as an example. And I got an email from a doctor who was yelling at me for this, and she said, listen, you guys talk about how stupid it is to mandate boosters and and stuff for college age students stupid. because they're yep. Own risk is low. And she says, yes, I agree. Their own risk is low, but they are going home to elderly people. Their professors are older, maybe vaccinated, but maybe immunocompromised or maybe immunocompromised members of the school no. that are there. You're trying to do what you do with childhood vaccines, which is cocoon against people who cannot be vaccinated or who will not respond well to vaccination, even if they choose uh, to get it. And um, how do you think about that? Okay, I that's well, I'm glad point. you're glad you're pitching that to me because um, I disagree strongly, and I'll tell you what. Here's the reasons why I disagree with this person. Um, one, um, if you're going to mandate it in that group of kids who are largely twenty long, young twenties, I think as a prerequisite, you need to know that what you're doing to them has no personal health decrement. And I think if we're perfectly honest, we do not know if a booster in a twenty year old man, the third dose, is in their net health benefit or their net health harm. I agree that if it's net health neutral to them, but helps other people, that's one discussion. But if it's a net health harm to them, and you're only doing it for theoretical benefit to other people, then I think there's there's a lot of informed consent issues you have to get into. There's the history and the ethics of vaccination you have to get into. So that's just one thing to discuss. The next thing I'd say is, I'm highly skeptical that these strategies will help other people in their lives. And here's why. Um, what percent of all Americans are currently living in a dormitory on a college campus? Uh, it's not a high percentage, you know, maybe one-tenth of one percent. Mm. And those people are subject to the most draconian restrictions, including it's not just that they're mandate vaccine, mandate boosting. They're not allowed to have gatherings of more than, depends on the college, two people in some colleges. They have to wear the mask at all times in the college. They are in many colleges are going on the January semester is now all remote. The January is all remote for them. Or in one college, Emerson College, this was tweeted by Michael Tracy, who's following this really steadfastly on sub Substack. Um, Emerson College, you're not allowed to leave your room. You're on quarantine in your room. Meanwhile, 99.9% .9 of Americans aren't doing any of this. None yes. of this. We're not doing any of this. So what you're doing is when they go back to see their grandmother, when they go back to their father's house, when they go back to their mother's house, 
Yes, they may be slightly more boosted than they otherwise would be without your mandate. But every other person that your that father or mother is interacting with, from the grocery store worker to this person down the street to the bar they go to to the restaurant they take their son or daughter to when they're home from college, those people have you have no control over those people. And so it's not really a cocoon as much as it is like you know uh, uh, you're, you're you're really reinforcing one side of a sandcastle while the rest of it is getting washed out to sea. I mean, you're not doing anything, you know, potentially at the detriment of 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 the, of the kid. So I just don't believe that. It's highly theoretical that it would be helping them. I mean, people are reasoning based on a theoretical understanding of, you know, prior diseases and past. Um, I think they don't realize how speculatory it is. And to use the brute force, again, I think people forget, like, these are brute force things to say, if you do not comply with this, you will not graduate, which means we're going we're gonna to just take a few mil from your career lifetime earnings. We're going to change your longevity. We're literally changing your, that's, how, that's the power yeah. that the Scott shows you. your life. We're shortening your life because yeah, you're not going to you're not going to be a college graduate in this in this society. God help you. Um, okay, you're doing that much power. You really need to be sure, and there is no certainty here. And you can tell yourself stories for why it might help, but I can tell you twenty stories why it won't help. Um, so I think that's the other thing. I think the other thing that some people say to me is like, well, what about the you know, person on campus who is immunocompromised or vulnerable. And I'd say, you know, my heart goes out to such a person. There has been a person like that on college campuses for the last 25 or 30 years. And every winter there is a risk to such a person. And we need to do in a society more things to help that person protect themselves. But I think we have to ask ourselves, how much can we reasonably ask other people to participate in that? And I think it is reasonable to ask them to do some things. Um, but when you start literally locking 20-year-olds who are vaccinated, boosted, and had natural immunity in their room so they can't socialize or date or do all of the things that are meaningful when they're young, perhaps the net um, mental health decrement to all those people will offset whatever theoretical benefit there is to the you know people on campus who are more vulnerable. I think that's a real question. And what about principles of liberty and fairness for those people, I think is important. And the last thing I'd say to you, I wrote a substack on this, and one of the lines I put in is that um, every single thing that's wonderful about being young requires you being close to other people. And most yes. of the wonderful things, you can't wear a mask for. <laughs> and, but I, I shouldn't tell that, that person who's been tweeting that stuff about yeah, the stuff about the masks, right? Yeah, equivalent right. to withdrawal yeah. uh, while <laughs> ovulating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that I, person. I, that person's aware of it. Okay, no. The, 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 and see, it's funny because that's why I don't respond to some emails like that yeah. because I would have to type all that, which is how I feel as well. I would have to type all those things to be compelling enough to make an argument, and that's just beyond. So instead, we talk about it in our show, and and I think you and I have been reasonably aligned on a lot of the stuff from the early pandemic that that. There is this trade-off always, and you're taking speculative benefit, and you're weighing it against probable real harm, right? That's, that's much right. less speculative, and and I yeah. think that's the thing. And and I, the other the other you know, ah, I forgot what I was going to say, but it ha it had to do with again this idea of understanding what our our damages and what our benefit is, and knowing that uh, sometimes we just can't know. There's uncertainty. Now, there's a lot and of wait, that's let me make one more point oh, here. Yeah, go ahead. Go oh, ahead, no. go ahead. Oh, I guess the point I want to make is we should also be honest about one of the things that allows this to happen, which is that these young adults have, we have all the power over them. We have all the power. Yes, that's right. I mean, um, the fact yes. we can compel them to do this. Yes. A 20-year-old, sit in your room and think about what you did for three weeks. Well, oh, by the way, the rest of us, we're going to go skiing. We're going to yeah, go drinking. Yeah. We're going to have a party. Yeah, but you yeah. sit there. I mean, it's just a brute force of power oh, on, and hegemony on these kids. And it, um, yeah. 
and and it's the old on the young. It's old on yeah, young violence oh because the people saying this are ancient fucks who literally yeah. they're the highest risk. You know, they're the ones sitting in the ivory Correct. tower of academics going, you know what? We, this is dangerous. We need to shut everything down. It's like, and I by get the it. way, and by the way, yeah. those faculty who are the most crying out for this, um, uh, uh, let me let me hope I don't catch them on my flight to Hawaii or catch them when I go to the ski chalet soon. Oh, because, I'm sure I'm going to see will. them. There. I'm sure but I'm going to see will. them there. Yeah. Oh, and in yeah. Napa because when I go to get some wine. Oh, dude, yeah. I was just in Napa, bro. The place was packed with old people walking around eating at the restaurants and laughing. you know they're all vaccinated and boosted and they're laughing and they're having a grand old time and they're probably the same people who and go back to their with their col- FaceTiming with their grandkids in college who are trapped in dorm rooms. <laughs> exactly. Trapped in dorm rooms. Yeah, making moonshine exactly. in the bathtub because they're not allowed out. Exactly. You know, a really just society, the, the elders ought to take, you know, commit harikari in favor of uh, preserving the youth. Of course. The youth. That's, that's a principle that goes, of, of course, most societies, the youth have the priority over the old. I mean, that's why we invest in children so much, or at least used right. to pre-COVID before used we all got, pre, all, all got selfish, all got selfish. Imagine um, though, if, if what would it be if this were inverted and it just preferentially harmed children, but it really had a high fatality rate in kids like similar to like like let's say if mm. a 10 year old had the fatality of a currently a 85 year old with diabetes in covid hmm. how, how would that change everything it's be so interesting it's uh, even it's hard to speculate okay yeah. i have a few thoughts i mean you're getting me real quick because i haven't thought about this but a few thoughts um i think it would be very different in 2020 than it would be in 1980 or 1970 when you and i were coming up um <laughs> because oh, yeah um, safetyism, safetyism, yeah, safetyism has grown. Yeah. So, I mean, right. yeah, I think that's one thought. And I mean, I think parents would be, I mean, obviously very concerned and they would probably subject their kids to extreme lockdowns. Like you'd mm-hmm. lock your own kid down hard. Um, you remember the scene in Contagion where his daughter was fraternizing with the, the boy from down the street oh, and he came yeah. with a shotgun. You remember that? Um, yeah. And I, this is Matt Damon. He put the shotgun in the boy. Or he had the, I think he had a gun with him uh, and he like get off her, you know? Um, uh, I think you'd see a lot of that, that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think that po- the political class would be largely exempt from it because they're all 80-year-old running the country. And so they probably would be very uh, reluctant to uh, take policies that would lock things down and you know, because the old and wealthy people control the country. Um, so only insofar yeah. as that they cared about young people in their lives would they favor this. But it'd be, it's a very interesting thought experiment. Um, yeah, it is. And the safetyism is interesting because you can compare it, yeah. say, to polio, which yeah. was that kind of scenario, right. maybe not as Correct. dramatic, but still para- paralysis in some cases and death. But paralysis is sometimes more scary to parents and Correct. to children than death. Correct. And and we, we lived through that. And that's why when that vaccine came, boy, there was no hesitation. And I, I suspect that the vaccine hesitation <laughs> would have been much less, even if there were documented, like myocarditis was one in a hundred and it puts you in the hospital, but you're you're 95% likely to survive the hospitalization. People have been like, sign us up. I do not want my child to die or be paralyzed. Well, you know, from- and to be fair, that's, I mean, it's a great point, but to be, I mean, to be fair, if you, the reason why uh, this interests me, and I'm actually talking about it, like my, the reason why it's so salient is the risk gradient is so steep, so that when you get to young ages, very little adverse events, very very infrequent AEs can wash away any benefit because yeah. again the risks are very low, and so if the risks were very high, you would tolerate tons of AEs. And this myocarditis signal, I mean, if you talked about if the IFR was ten times, twenty times, a hundred times higher in the youth, um, as you know, if it, if it is what in a in a five year old, what it is in a fifty five year old, then I think you would you would swallow way you know you'd swallow all these risks. I mean, it would be nothing. The risk would be far less than the risk of, of 
uh, vaccine. And actually, it brings me to the next point. Um, you know, I just I just posted it today on my Substack, and it's a preprint that came out a few weeks ago, and we talked about it on this show. There was a paper from the United Kingdom investigators looking at outcomes in the UK, and they said that if you're under 40, the rate of myocarditis with dose two of Moderna was higher than the rate of myocarditis after a SARS-CoV-2 infection for under 40. And on Twitter, a lot of people said, yo, you got to break this up, men and women. Men have the highest risk far more than women. I said more things. I said, you also need to look at, you know, 12 to 15 and 16 to 20, et cetera. Well, they did at least one of those things. They put a new preprint out, men and women under 40, and it is crystal clear. The risk of myocarditis from dose two Pfizer, dose three Pfizer, dose one Moderna, dose two Moderna is far in excess of the risk of SARS-CoV-2, uh, myocarditis after SARS-CoV-2, for men under 40. And it's probably going to be even more unfavorable if you start to tease out that 16 to 24 demographic. What's the point of this? The point of this is, is that this is a balancing, this is a scale. And as you get down in risk, you got to think about AEs much more saliently. And the question isn't vaccinate or not. The question is how to most safely vaccinate. Is it going to be one dose with a delayed second dose? One dose in some people who maybe, and if people have natural immunity, just one dose at all. You know, what other strategies can we try? Do we really need to be boosting a 16 year old, et cetera, et cetera? Um, so, really interesting results out now. And, and, you know, assuming we believe these preprint results and they pan out, this is, this goes in the face of what authorities have been saying in terms oh, of, yeah. uh, oh, you know, well, yeah. no, myocarditis is X times more likely if you're naturally infected than if you have been vaccinated. Oh, my God. And what do you think is the tension there? What's going on? Is it a subgroup analysis thing? Are they looking at different data sets? Why are oh, they saying I'll, different things? I'll tell you, this UK analysis is the only analysis that anyone should ever have cited because the other ones were terrible. The reason they were terrible uh, was, um, you know, the one that I think got a lot of noise was, of course, pushed by the CDC. And I think this was one that Marty, when we did our video, Marty was yeah, said it wouldn't have passed was, a science, great, science fair project. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was accurate. <laughs> I mean, I think... The, the, the challenge is that when you're trying to measure the rates of myocarditis after infection, you have a denominator problem, which is you don't know who had the infection. And those right. papers that they were citing, they use um, a hospital-based analysis, and they multiplied it by a correction coefficient roughly in the three ballpark to try to estimate the real denominator. But that mm. correction coefficient was literally pulled out of someone's pulled anus. Out of their ass. yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't really useful uh, and may not be accurate. And this UK study is much better because it's looking at a population-wide analysis with a better sense of who has SARS-CoV-2. But even it, like the rates of myocarditis after SARS-CoV-2, it's still exaggerated. The real rate of myocarditis after SARS-CoV-2 would be lower if you had a seroprevalence denominator. So I think the... I don't know. I mean, the kind thing to say is that it was a flawed analysis. The harsher thing to say is that it was a conveniently flawed analysis put forth by the CDC to support their policy conclusion, which was we want people to get this. Um, right. One last thought. Back to the college kids. You know, Zubin, yes. I'm curious what you think. I spent some time like just thinking about you know, like, why don't these college kids complain more about this kind of treatment? Right. And I guess... Yeah, because they don't seem to complain. I guess I have a few buckets. So one bucket, somebody told me on the internet, she said, um, you know, if you survey some college kids, may, they, a lot of them are really actually personally afraid of bad outcomes from the virus. So in other words, their personal risk is distorted. That's one. Two, mm. I think, um, you know, we live in a world where 
increasingly, something you said as a 16, 17, or 18-year-old is going to haunt you. Isn't recently some woman lost a job because of something she said? So it's like, I don't know, four, you know, there's all these stories. So they, they tweeted one thing when they're 14, now they're 34, and somebody found that, and now they're fired, you know? And so maybe some of these kids are really scared to have anything on record that they ever protested anything. The third possibility, um, maybe they view this as some sort of altruistic choice, um, like as you said, that your, your, your reader wrote in, said like um, they're protecting their parents. Um, but as I point out, I really do think it's a misguided sense uh, or a speculatory sense of altruism. I don't know that to be true. And number four is like, but maybe we have a culture of kids like they're no longer the kind of kids that existed when you and I grew up. Like for me, being young means being rebellious and maybe they're no longer as rebellious. And in fact, to be honest, I don't mean as many, rebe I mean, maybe it's my job. I only meet nerds who want to be doctors. <laughs> I mean, I don't meet rebellious <laughs> kids. You know, I don't meet rebellious kids, but I don't know. Are they not as rebellious or, you know, are they not as willing uh. to question the authorities. Um, what do you think? What's going on? Why are they? Why are they so quiet? I think this is a really central question. Actually, it's more than a thought experiment. It's a real social point right now because it cuts to the heart of what Jonathan Haidt wrote in his book, *The Coddling of the American Mind*, and how our children now are very, really, quantifiably different in their in their conditioning than we were, or our parents were, or the greatest generation was, say. And I think all the things you said are true. I think ones I'd put some emphasis on are this idea of safetyism, that they really are misguided in their risk. Like they mm -hmm. are worried that like, oh, you know, I, I see it on the media. And because most college campuses are skew very liberal in terms of professors, there is the kind of group think of like, oh, no, 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 this is like a deadly pandemic where doing your part, if you don't do your part, you're killing grandma and you're a horrible conservative piece of crap and so on. And I think there's oh, a component that of that. Yeah. yeah, that kind of group think. But then I do think there is this, um, this general fear to go out group. So, you know, a lot of these kids are like, well, if I, you know, if I say something outside of this, like you said, I'm gonna be ostracized, maybe mm. years later, be canceled for this. Now, the only, the only comparison I can give is, you know, I went to UC Berkeley. In the 60s, that was the center of the, of the student right. movement in the United right. States. Like, yeah. they were pissed because of free speech. They were pissed because- Now they're, they, they're pissed if you get away, if you only have to wear one N95, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, the Berkeley yeah, kids of the 60s yeah. would, have be would have been considered like alt-right lunatics today for demanding free speech and, and this kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. and so I think there has been a qualitative shift. Like UC Berkeley was pretty much shut down when I went to visit recently with my kids and Stanford just closed campus for the first two weeks, made everything <laughs> yeah, remote because of Omicron. And it's like, guys, you're robbing these kids yeah, of the right one now. thing that still kicks ass. And that's a call, like going to college, living on campus, having fun with your friends, doing stupid shit that takes risk. And, you know, we used to light non-dairy creamer on fire because it's- It's, <laughs> it's, it's flammable? <laughs> because it's, it's flammable. It's powdered. Yeah. It has a high surface area. It's mostly fat and carbohydrates. So if you if you blow, kids do not do this at home. I was an idiot. If you t if you go to Costco <laughs> and you get a big thing of Cremora and you pour it over a balcony in a in a student housing thing and you have someone down below with a torch made of newspaper, the thing will ex 
explode, but it'll be so rapid that it'll extinguish itself within microseconds. But the the blast is impressive. We would do stuff like that. And and now I would if I would do that, I would have melted an N95, two N95s to my face. And I would permanently be scarred because of my safetyism around wearing a mask. So it is it is a qualitative difference. You know, I think. I, it, you reminded me of one thing I, I had thought earlier, but I, I didn't say in my thing was like, you know, young people lean left. And what it used to mean to lean left was free speech, free thought, willing to say provocative things. The yes. new leaning left means double mask, triple vaxxed, um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and sitting under your bed, getting DoorDash, of course. Um, uh, that's the new leaning left. So maybe they're just leaning left in a new way, but whatever it is, I feel bad for them. Um, I do. Because I feel bad for them. I pity them. You know, they're soon they're going to join the ranks of us, which is like, you know, the, the day-to-day monotony of life will grind, yeah. will, grind you, <laughs> will grind you down, my friend. And you're going to be like, you're like, why did I sit in my room for the month of January and have this Zoom school, stupid Zoom school? The one God. chance, the one, one chance, chance I God, had. I'm sorry. You know, I have, I, I, I know a lot of kids now because friends of my daughter and my daughter, and then they say, you know, a lot of our friends are going and seeing the student counselor because of their anxiety and their concerns and this and this and this. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I could have counted. And some of this is destigmatization and it's okay to talk about this stuff now, but some of it is just, I think we have really fragilized children and we have created a very anxious class of kids um, that, that they're just worried about things that we never would have concerned ourselves with for better or for worse. But I think, and it's all done, I think it was done with good intention initially as, as Height points out in his book, he says, these, these were how good intentions led to these ter- this fragile class of kids. And, and the thing is, these kids are going to be the leaders of the future. So what will that do? I don't know. Or will they wake God. up and be like, yeah, you know, it's, there's a more alt middle way to look at this, that you can still well, be classically liberal and not be insane. Over my dead body, Z. But literally, <laughs> they'll be leading over my dead body. I mean, oh, oh yeah, boy. you'll be first on the wall, dude, when the revolution comes. Yeah. <laughs> they'll they'll get me up there and they'll put an N95 on me to show me off as a symbol of treachery. Um, all right, That's I right. gotta run. Um, this was a pleasure. We we a hit joy. a lot of great topics. Um, any closing thoughts? This is the holiday edition. It's the holiday. This is our holiday edition. edition. It it may be our last uh, episode of the year. That's right. Yeah, that's right. In which we have places to go. We have places. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're like Dr. Seuss. Oh, the places we'll go. Um, The places you'll go. Nowhere. uh, Yeah. yeah. If Dr. Seuss wrote that today, it'd be like, oh, the places you'll go alone in your dorm room with nowhere to go. (laughs) You know, (laughs) (laughs) with no one to know, no one to know. Alone in your dorm room, nowhere to go. The places you'll go. Yeah. The school for you. (laughs) The school counselor's anxiety rubs off on you. The N95 is covered with stool. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Stool and you is more of a of a near rhyme. Um, listen, mm. this was a lot of fun. I know you're on service. I'm gonna let you go, but I, I got to say to all the people who've watched the show, made it like such a high ranking show. We're really grateful. We have utter gratitude, right? For being able to That's have true. these conversations, not be silenced by anyone and where no one's silencing us. You know, this idea that, you know, some people criticize us, I think rightfully on Twitter by saying, they're always saying they're silenced, but they have a bigger platform than us. And it's true. <laughs> we do. You know, Suck I want to be clear. I just want to make one point there. I guess I don't, I don't know if I've ever said I was, I was silenced. What I said was, you know, and I just want to clarify my points. One, like this Francis Collin things, you know, it's not that he's silencing the GBD. Yeah, right, I don't, right, right. It's that by not like, if you disparage someone and you don't have a dialogue, you cannot meet in the middle. You just draw to your whatever fringe position. So, you know, they're free to speak their mind and you're free to go off in your own direction, but 
the fact is neither of you converge on the truth. And so I guess, you know, what you and I hope to do through dialogue is, you know, yes. meet in the middle where a little place I like to call sensible medicine and common sense, Ooh. you know? Maybe it'll be in vogue in 2022. What do you think? <laughs> Here's to the new year. That's, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. We're going to make it happen, dude. But through, through lots and lots of spiked eggnog, that's the only route. It's the only way. <laughs> it's the only way to drink Man. it. All right. It is. All right, Until brother. next year. Uh, I will see you on the other side of uh, the revolution around the sun. And guys, we love you. Please subscribe to the show. Leave a review. It helps us a lot. You can reach us at uh, VPZD podcast at gmail.com or on our respective websites i'm at zdogmd.com and what's your website vinay it's my it's my full name vinaykprasad.com it rolls right off the tongue you just, you just, just google me if you really want to find me, you're, you're, me. you're silencing yourself with that shit vinay <laughs> making your website un, self-silence yeah that's right that's right silence yourself yeah uh, why don't right, use my full we'll, name yeah <laughs> we love you and we are out peace